Hey guys, and welcome back to Building Your Wealth Muscle. On this episode, we continue our six-part series on what is financial planning. This is step four, allocating the money and tax planning. On this episode, you will learn why we do personal finances first, what types of money decisions you need to bring to your financial planner, the problem with non-business financial professionals and, and having them isolated from both your business and personal, and how to calculate the payments needed for a money goal. So I hope you enjoy this episode, and uh, please share it with a friend if, if you find value. We'd really appreciate it as we try to grow the show. Enjoy the episode. Thank you. Welcome to Building Your Wealth Muscle, a podcast about building and protecting wealth for online health and fitness coaches. Each episode, we're going to break down different topics in the areas of business, finance, and tax, and how they pertain to your coaching business. Disclaimer, the topics covered in this podcast are for educational purposes only. This is not advice for your specific situation. Please consult a qualified financial or tax professional before making changes to your financial or tax situation. Now, here's your host, certified financial planner, Pat Darby. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Building Your Wealth Muscle. So we're continuing the six-part series on what is financial planning. It's If you haven't listened from the first episode, I highly recommend you go back and do so. But basically, we're going through as in-depth as we can what the different meeting phases are, or maybe not meetings if you're doing this yourself, what the different areas of your finances you should be looking at to build a financial plan for yourself. Again, it's, it can feel very opaque to people, like what is financial planning? What do I do if I decide to want to hire a financial planner? Just to recap... The, the five phases, again, it was a six-part series because the first one was just going through the overview. Um, and then we went into each phase, which is goal setting. The second is analyzing your current financial situation, risk planning, allocating the money. And then the fifth phase is, is optimizing everything. And I'll dive into that more next week. But basically, that's the idea of that everything we've done this fa- thus far is taking on a, a lot of assumptions and variables that we don't necessarily have control over, one of which being inflation. You know, most financial professionals are going to use a number between two and three percent. That's different at the moment. So, uh, but today we're going to get into what I consider really the meat and potatoes of financial planning, which is allocating the money. Like for the most part, that's the reason people hire a financial professional because they have extra profits, they have cash laying around, and they know they need to put it to work, but it's overwhelming as you start to Google things. It's, I know it's just like WebMD for non-medical professionals. Like we go on there and say, hey, my, my shoulder hurts. And then they basically tell you it could be anything from nothing to you're about to die. So it's, it, I know how overwhelming it can be when you have the same situation. You're like, okay, I have extra profit in my fitness business, what do I do with it? Leading up to this, again, this is why it's a multi-part series. In my opinion, and I feel you would agree when it comes to the fitness industry, you can't just start diagnosing people without really doing a deep dive into what's going on, what's what's happening in their life. So if someone says to you, hey, I got a hundred grand sitting in my checking account. I wanted to put it to work. What should I do? I personally think it's irresponsible to just spit out an answer. And I, I've talked about this on my social media. That's a great way to identify if you're working with a financial professional or a salesperson, because if they have no questions for you, they already have a solution, I would run because it's not 
it's likely that their solution is all they have to offer you. So it doesn't really necessarily matter what your goals are, what your problems are, what are the biggest stressors in your life. You know, like what makes you financially comfortable to be able to sleep at night may be different than me, may be different than your best friend. So we have to design the plan and to answer that question, hey, what do I do with this hundred grand based on that specific skill set that, or not skill set, a personality trait essentially or goal for you. So again, same thing with fitness. Some people probably feel very self-conscious with a certain body type and maybe that body type for the next client of yours, they're totally comfortable with and that's their goal. So that's the, that's the main reason that I feel it takes so long to get to the point where we are today, where we're actually talking what we do with the money because we needed to lay the groundwork to make sure we knew what you're trying to do, know as much in depth as we possibly can about your current situation. And then we take a step back to look at all the things that are the risks that could come up to make your current situation worse. And that was the, the last episode talking about risk planning. Cause again, there's, it's sexy to be like, Hey, take this hundred grand. I want to turn it into a million bucks. That's sexy. That's awesome. That's what people want to hire us for. But it's our job as professionals to say, Hey, like these are things that could make your hundred grand seem like nothing if these come up and we don't talk about it. And it was, you know, like, so I went in depth on last episode. So if you haven't listened to the previous ones, I highly recommend it specifically the last one in that brick. Cause like we went pretty deep on all the different areas of the risks that you can account for, or you should account for it. And you don't have to do everything all at once, but you should account for it. So one of the main things, and I probably should have mentioned this as well before in the, in the overview episode, the reason we are like most people listening to this, you're likely a fitness entrepreneur. You might be asking yourself, like, why are we spending so much time on personal finance? I'm running a business. I'm trying to grow my business. And the, the purpose here is like similar to like when you're on a plane and they say in the beginning, like non-COVID, when they say, if the oxygen masks drop, put yours on first before your children or before any children or before you help others, however they, they frame it, I forget. But, and that, that's the same thing that applies to your business. Like if you're on a plane and you pass out trying to help others, then you're not very helpful. Your, your business is your baby. So if you have major financial stresses in your personal life, you're likely not going to be able to show up for your business the way you should. You know, like if you're going through a bankruptcy or if you have a situation where your spouse is very stressed about the debt you have or something to that effect, it may be harder for you to show up for your fitness clients at 100% or whatever you need to deliver their transformation when you are stressing out all day. So... That's one of the reasons we we do our best to identify the and get our personal financial ship in order so that we can then attack the business and build that into the the best, most strong and profitable business that we can. So I should have mentioned that earlier, but that's a major part of why this is the the framework that that I use for my clients. And again, I think if you're dealing with your own personal finances, this would be the the framework you would consider as well. So Let's get back on track to today. We're talking about allocating the money. And so I want to use that term money as broadly as possible. So again, if you're working with a comprehensive financial planner, what that means, and I don't know if the industry even does a good job of helping with this, 
that is everything that touches your money. Anything that costs money. Like you should be talking, and I mentioned this in one of the earlier episodes, like I think it was the when we talked about the analyzing your current situation. You want to get completely open and financially naked with your financial person because you don't know the different strategies that you might help them help you with. And this is what I mean. Like you, you want to be anything that costs money, they can build a strategy around or they need to know about it. You know, whether it's something with a health situation in your life or a family member, you want to purchase like a expensive toy that you think will get you judged investment, save for college, helping family members. It doesn't matter what it is. The stressor in your life most likely costs some money and it can be planned for, like, especially like if it's health related, because there's tax advantages and different things you can do. Like the person you're dealing with should be an expert, not just in all things finance, but also delegating the, the weaknesses that they have to somebody that can help you. So they know your finances left and right, or at least they should. But you start talking about health things like, okay, let's bring in a health insurance expert that we can maybe build a plan that specifically covers what you are. Like if you're about to have a surgery that maybe isn't covered, whatever the case may be. I'm just using an example. Like it behooves you to be as open and transparent about everything on your mind that, that, that could cost you a single penny. Again, education, even things that you want to do that you think will get you judged, like buying a car that you don't need or whatever. It doesn't matter. You want them to know because they can help you build around it. So the main thing, and this is this is part of what I try to talk about a lot when in my background of not coming from a finance background. I was a biochemistry major in college. And so when I launched my first business, it was it was a some people have asked me, it was a, a beer pong tournament business. I'd pretty cool ideas for taking it national. It didn't work out because of a lot of the mistakes I made, both from a cash flow, finance, taxes, you name it. But I got obsessed with the finance and tax side and what I was making those mistakes, which led me to, to this career. But when I was in that situation, and I've mentioned this in previous podcasts, I had a CPA doing my taxes. I had a financial advisor and neither of them did anything for my business. And that is mostly my fault. I'll say it's hundred percent my fault because I didn't really bring my questions to them because I didn't know who to ask. You know, like I was asking sometimes legal questions to an accountant who didn't really understand. So like, I think I was sold a really overpriced LLC, but I didn't really understand how to use it. My financial advisor was allocating all of my free cash flow from my, uh, nine to five job at the time into my retirement accounts and into insurance policies that I didn't need based on my age. And I didn't have any dependents or I don't have any now either, but at the time I definitely didn't have any. So they were working against me. And this is one of the reasons that I find it so valuable to have someone as like, I call it like the CFO, like your personal CFO that's overlooking the business and your personal life. Because Here's some scenarios that could easily happen to you. They happened to me, but I wasn't asking the right questions. And I, I assume they didn't have the answers, but I wasn't asking the right questions. And my goal for anyone I'm helping and anyone listening to this, to help you answer the questions that you don't even know to ask. So you meet with your accountant using hypothetical scenarios and you saved a bunch of money in taxes. You did all your tax planning. Again, I wasn't even told tax planning existed. So the 23, 
24, what was it, 24, 25 year old me had no clue what tax planning was. I was just loading up all my expenses, not realizing there was a big difference between a business expense and, you know, a charitable donation, which is a personal expense. And if you don't understand the difference there, that's, that's cool. I'm not trying to have that conversation. I'm saying like, there is a difference and planning accordingly is valuable. So you meet with your accountant. They say, Hey, we, we did X, Y, Z. You saved an extra 10 grand in taxes. Like, cool. Conversation's over. Now you go home thinking, well, what do I do with it? Same thing. Maybe you have a business coach that's helping you with your sales, revenue strategy, uh, marketing strategy. I mean, and let's say they, they come to you and say, all right, well, based on what we did with the marketing, this and that, our profits are down 10,000. Let's use 10,000 to keep it simple. How does that impact your retirement strategy that you've been working on with your financial advisor? Again, now you have a gap and you either have to explain that gap yourself or like meaning translate what they said, or if you're doing it yourself, you know, come up with a strategy to adjust the plan. Same thing, a relevant example as I'm recording this, you know, the stock market's on a decline. Maybe opportunities to invest in the business were your top priority, but now your financial advisor at one of the big firms is saying, hey, the market's dipped. Why don't we buy this dip? Now you have to decide. And again, so what I'm getting at here is it's a challenge when your professionals sit on different sides of the of your financial fence meaning your personal life and your business life, because they could be at odds. There could be conflicts of interest of how they're compensated. There could be conflicts of, in well, I shouldn't say the second one, it's not a conflict of interest. If they just don't know, like your financial advisor, like in my case, I wasn't paying him to look at my business. I wasn't, he wasn't hired to help me with the business that I launched. In fact, I might probably launched it after him and I started working together. Now, again, like he worked for a major firm and most of what he was doing for me was selling me bullshit insurance stuff, but that wasn't in his job description. So in a way it's not his fault that I never asked him this. He never, and he never brought it up to me, but that could easily be your situation too, where you have all these professionals working for you and you could be doing a great job. Like, again, like you might have a phenomenal lawyer that's writing contracts for you. But if you ask them a question about what to do with an investment, it's likely they have no, they wouldn't, be involved in that process. So it's nice to, in my opinion, again, I'm biased because I wish I had this and now my business does this for people because I needed it. Was like a one-stop shop to be like, hey, this is what I need to know. Like I get copied on my clients' emails when they're emailing the lawyer or their accountant. If they have other financial in like professionals like that help with either the insurance side or if there's a specific investment strategy, like they buy real estate or whatever, you know, we're involved because we can help translate the big picture to all the other professionals. Like we can speak the language of your accountant. Like we can do everything that we need to help you save time. But more importantly, we're asking the questions that you're thinking to ask at times. And again, I'm not judging anyone because these are all the questions that I didn't ask anyone because either I didn't know to ask them again. I didn't even know tax planning existed. I just thought, March, I give you all my expenses that I know of under the sun they wait for you to tell me what I owe. Like I didn't do quarterly estimates. I didn't even know that existed. Cause again, I was at a nine to five job. So I'm getting a little off topic, but my point is when it comes to allocating the money, multiple forks in the road where like a good thing, like your accountant says, Hey, I saved you money. And then, but you go back to being confused because it's overwhelming. Same thing. You might have a business opportunity or an investment opportunity outside of the business. 
And if you have professionals that aren't helping you, you get to a fork in the road. I'm like, how do you allocate that money? And really it all comes down to the ultimate. The first thing that we talked about in the financial planning process is goal setting. The business should be serving your big financial goals. And what I mean by that is, again, this would be part of like also the business planning that we do after the personal financial planning is like that, that ultimate debate, you know, you got, let's just raise the stakes. You have a hundred grand of extra profit in the business. How do you allocate that? A lot of that is going to depend on the goal. If the goal is to have a highly profitable business that you don't intend to sell, you don't want to, you don't intend to raise the value of it per se. You just want a lot of profit. Maybe it's, maybe you don't, you run as lean as possible, but in that case, your financial professional probably said to you, well, this business is not going to have much value, value to any buyer because it's all you. It's highly profitable, but it's all you. That's, that's not a, there's no right or wrong to that. It's just, that's what you're trying to build. So you need to know. So in that scenario, you would want to consider allocating a lot of your profits to building personal assets outside of the business. Conversely, and I've mentioned this in my social media, like building a bridge to nowhere. Conversely, some people are like, no, I'm going to sell my business for millions of dollars. So I'm reinvesting in the infrastructure of a team and making yourself a true business that runs with or without you. And again, that would be a totally okay decision, but you need to know what you're building because if you start, if you're planning to never sell the business, for instance, but you're not pulling the money out, then you need to assess when that time will be when you actually harvest everything that you're building and vice versa. If you're planning to build something huge, this enterprise business that you want someone to buy for you from for eight or nine figures, but you're sucking every bit of profit out of the business, someone's got to call you out on like, Hey, you're, you're out of alignment with your goals. And so it's helpful to have someone looking over that big picture. Again, all these decisions that we're about to talk about today on allocating your money comes back to what your goals are. Like, I don't, my goals are going to be different than your goals and different than your client's goals. Like it's just individualized, but let's, let's dive into, you know, what we're doing as we're allocating money. Like what's the, not, I was gonna say the math behind it, but we're not going to dive into like the calculations per se. But when we're going through this with each client, you and for instance, we're doing all of this through the tax lens. And I think that's highly important because this is where, this is the tip of the spear. You know, like with, without getting ahead of ourselves, there's ways like with retirement vehicles, there's tax advantage strategies that, especially if you're younger, depending on where your income is, dropping the money into something now and letting it grow over time could save you an unbelievable amount of taxes if you put it in the right spot at the right time. So again, this planning portion of like where to allocate the money I say this all the time on my social media. It's like location, 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 just like real estate. All things equal at the same investment. You could put it in multiple places. Depending on where you do like this, having the tax lens when you're building this foundation is going to make all the tax planning that much more valuable down the road. And a lot of it, quite frankly, your financial professionals will have trouble taking credit for because like if you drop $10,000 into a crypto strategy, let's just say because who knows where it's going? Because obviously, as I'm recording this, it's I think it's cut in half over the last six months or so, but or at least some of the major ones. But let's say you did in you know five six years ago into like a Roth IRA, for instance. 
man, you'd feel a lot better about yourself than if you did it in a regular traditional IRA, for instance, because the tax implications are tremendously different. So that's why it's really vital while you're mapping out all the where the assets are all going to sit and live and what you're going to allocate money to that you do it through the tax lens. So if you are hiring a professional, I highly recommend they are tax uh, proficient and or your tax advisor is heavily involved in the process because that will save you probably more than, you know, it's almost, I shouldn't say it now, I was going to say it's better than picking the right investment, but that's not true. But it's, it's a huge benefit to know what you're doing from a tax perspective. So when it comes to the asset and the debt planning, the main concept that, that you, if you're like going to Google, it's like the time value of money, you know, like that's what the lens we're also looking at through outside of the taxes is the time value of money. It's because it gets, I guess it all boils down to what Albert Einstein called about compound interest. He said, it's the eighth wonder of the world for though, and I'm going to butcher this slightly, but basically if you understand it, you get compound interest. If you don't understand it, you pay compound interest. And the two basic differences would be uh, like the stock market, which in theory increases at a certain rate over time versus credit card debt, which you're paying. And people can get in that endless cycle of owing credit card debt because they're not, they're not catching up on it. And it, it compounds so quickly versus starting early with your investments and I'm not going to be able to articulate it in a like a non-visual podcast, but the main difference between starting when you're 25 versus 35 when it comes to these investments, that 10-year gap is a huge, huge compounder when it comes to the compound interest, which sorry to use the term twice. But so let's start diving in. Specifically, let's talk briefly about the debt planning side. You're going to want to just look at it. like people know like the different strategies, like the Dave Ramsey goes over. So I'm not going to dive into all the different ones, but the one things that you, the main things you want to look at is like what is the, the debt doing to you? Because I 100% disagree with when with Ramsey and anyone who says that all debt is bad because that's that's simply not true. It can be leveraged for investment properties. It could be leveraged for you to buy your personal residence. In your business, obviously the same thing. You could be leveraged for you to expand a sales team, marketing, whatever it is. Like, I don't think we need to dive into the fact that like debt can be your friend. If you don't know what you're doing, it can be your worst nightmare. And that's one of the things we need to identify depending on like if someone has student loans, high credit card debt, whatever it is, we need to figure out how the strategies to either reduce the interest rate, get that principal down. Maybe that we have to attack the, the debt before we have to attack the retirement plan again, because that might be choking you more than anything. But you want to look at the time value money. Like, what are the what are the interest rates on the debt? What is it doing for you? Is there any tax deductibility to it? Can we quote unquote move it into the business? The strategies to do that that we could turn that interest rate into a tax deductible thing. So again, all things equal, because obviously tax deductible at a twenty percent interest rate isn't necessarily that good. But again, it's looking at those if there's any advantages to the debt and what we need to do about it, like consolidating it, paying one down aggressively. And then the other side is the assets. We start building the assets again. We want to start looking at the different areas where we need to allocate the money. Are we building for retirement? Do we have kids that we're saving for college for? Do we have 
medium term goals that are going to be put into basically a brokerage account? Do we have shorter term goals that need to go into bank accounts, like maybe saving for down payments? In the previous episode, we talked about how some types of insurance, you don't quote unquote need to get the insurance. You can self-fund it. If you're going to self-fund an insurance policy, how are you going to invest into that? Which vehicle? Like Again, I'm a big fan of having a lot of these things in different buckets because like, <laughs> I think the analogy I've used before, and I don't know if it's that good of an analogy, is like your dinner plate. You know, like you wouldn't put your steak, your dessert, and your like your drink all in the same bowl because I mean that's disgusting to think about is the first part. But two, it can be confusing because you're gonna have a lot of different objectives that you're trying to accomplish. Like it could be getting you and your spouse to retirement. There could be college funding. You could have, again, like maybe in this scenario you've said You've identified that it's prudent to have a plan for long-term care and you're self-funding for that. There's different types of investments you're going to want for that. Again, let's use something more simple and maybe you're going to buy an investment property. And so you need to put money aside over the next couple of years for the down payment. That would not be earmarked the same way as your retirement plan that you're not going to touch for 30 years or 40 years or 50 years versus the money that you need in two years or six months. Like you don't know, like maybe you find a, a dream opportunity. Maybe, you know, someone fire sales a, a home right down the street from you that you're like, yes, this is perfect. So the strategies are going to be different. So I'm a big fan of having them isolated because it can get more complicated when all the money is sitting in the same account. And another thing with that, and this is, excuse me, this is more my personal preference. When I have clients that have goals that are different time horizons, I I think, and again, maybe you'll feel differently, but I think it's mentally helpful to have those in two separate accounts. And here's what I'm referring to. Let's say you're a young person right now and you say, you know what? I'm going to put this money in, a, in for retirement. Let's just say you're putting $5,000 a month into retirement and you have certain that money to you is more important because even though you don't need it for 30 or 40 years, but it's, it's something that you're looking at frequently. And then you have a separate account that maybe that's for long-term care. And statistically speaking, people only need long-term care the last three years of their life. So hopefully for everyone listening, that is, you know, 70, 80, 90 years from now. So you could have that money that's set for your long-term care in the most, this is hypothetical, I'm not giving you advice, but let's say that that long-term care, cause you're like, I don't need this money for 70 or 80 years. It can be as aggressive as, as I can come up with again, smart, aggressive, not just stupid, aggressive, but you know, while we're looking in a time period that we're in, as I'm recording this, like the market crashing, you can easily separate cause you can get anxiety when you look at your retirement account, getting getting pulled back, but then you can work with a financial professional or you're doing it yourself and saying, well, this money that's even more aggressively getting hurt because of X, Y, or Z and that you've done in it. It's more, it's easier to compartmentalize like, oh, well that money, I don't need it for six or seven decades. So it doesn't matter versus the money that you are looking at and be like, damn, like I was, that's my retirement nest egg. And again, that, that could be more anxiety. 
And that leads me into, we'll get circle back to some of the more allocating, but I also want to get into when it comes to just the goals, when you're, when you're building your investment strategy, and I'm not giving investment advice here. I'm just talking about investing in general. It could be real estate. It could be crypto. It could be stock market, the bond market. It doesn't matter. You, you pick what you like and you're comfortable with, or you have an expert helping you with. One of the things you want to understand, and this is why you should also not take advice from random people who say, this is what I'm doing. You should do it too. Everyone has a different, what's called like a risk tolerance. And maybe people call it other things, but it's essentially what amount of risk you're willing to stomach. So when you hear people compare like the investment strategy of like an Elon Musk and say, well, if he's doing it, maybe it's a good idea for you. That makes no sense to me because even though he's arguably one of the smartest entrepreneurs on the planet, the amount of money he's one willing to lose and capable of losing are probably very different than you. You know, like if he throws $10 million at something and it goes to zero, I'm sure he's not happy about it, but it doesn't ruin his life. Whereas if you put a million dollars into an idea that's high risk, how much of that, how much of your net worth was that? Maybe half, like maybe. So, and then when you're going through this process of thinking of what you should do with your money, the question you should go back to ask yourself as well, when you're allocating it, like, well, the timing is perfect because you can think about the, the stock market now. If you're considering abandoning the plan because you're getting scared of what you see, then you probably are in things that are outside your comfort zone because risks are always going to be there. And hopefully if you're working with a professional, they're explaining this to you. Like I've spent a lot of time with my clients, not focusing on what the upside of their investment plan is, but the, the inevitable downside. Cause we know over time, multiple recessions are going to hit you. Like we don't know what's going to cause it, but we know before you retire, you're going to have multiple market crashes, multiple recessions. It's not an if it's a when, and we also don't know the how it's always going to be a different thing that causes it, but you have to get on board with the downside and say, because you don't want the people that make the biggest mistakes. There's a book called the behavior gap by Carl Richards. If you highly recommend it, it's financial genius. I really love the guy and I highly recommend his book because it's the behavior gap basically identifies the, the difference between the average return of an investment versus your personal average return. And often that gap is you like your behaviors are messing with it. Like this is, this is a, no exaggeration. I've had a client in the past. They thought they were on the older side, closer to retirement. This is again, before I started working specifically in the fitness and entrepreneurial space. They thought their 401k was a type of investment, not like an investment vehicle because it had outperformed all of their other investments. And this 401k, they, they had no, I believe they didn't have access to it for like 20 years, like maybe it was an old employer or they just didn't see it. Like it, like they weren't logging in and it had outperformed everything in their investment world. And they thought it was like attributed to the fact that they had some sort of better investment strategy inside of it. And I explained to them, the only difference is you didn't mess with this thing. And like, I know his personality, he messes with all his other stuff. Like he watches and you might be the same way in that 
every time the market crashes, you abandon the plan. You go to cash, you get scared, you change your risk tolerance. You, you forget about the fact that you don't need this money for three decades. Like you're scared today and you're meddling with it. And again, like, don't take my word for it. You can Google all about like the behavior gap and how people tend to get in their own way when it comes to investing and that's, and they get their emotions involved. So I highly recommend you consider that when you're building the plan, you're building it with your risk tolerance in mind, knowing that you're not going to just quickly move out of a position because you're scared. One of the other reasons, again, I'm, I'm not a, uh, a real estate expert, but one of the other reasons I feel like they, people tend to think that real estate is one of the best investments over time is it's also has a really lovely, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? It's kind of great that you don't know what it's worth. You know, like it's not valued every day, like the stock market and like the crypto market. So you, you don't like have a COVID hit or a recession hit or whatever it is. And you're like, and you see on a app on your phone, Hey, the value of my property just dropped 30% today. Like, oh, like my tenant skipped a payment. So the value is is now this. Like, so that's actually a benefit because sometimes that that ignorance can be bliss because you don't make emotional decisions. So that was sort of a long-winded way, but I, I really do want to emphasize that you should be building your investments based on the risks involved. And this is also why I like self-directing investments where you take control, where you invest in real estate, in other fitness businesses, whatever it is. Because you reduce the risk by knowing what the hell you're doing. Like if you have no clue what you're doing in the stock market, that's way riskier of an investment for you than it is for investment professionals that live in the stock market. Like Warren Buffett and you could be investing in the same thing, but when it dips, he's excited because he's like, oh, now I'm getting it cheaper and maybe he's buying more and you're freaking out and, and losing sleep or selling it. So, but conversely... Like you could identify a fitness business that is being run improperly or whatever. Maybe they're, it doesn't matter, but you identify ways to make that a better business and you invested in it. That for you, again, let's just hypothetically say you put your entire net worth into rescuing a friend's business that you want to buy. That might be incredibly risky for a doctor who, who saw the same opportunity, who has no idea about the fitness industry or fitness businesses versus you, because that's your area of expertise. So marrying your expertise to the investment reduces the risk for you as the investor. So I'd say to say you need the, when you're allocating money to be aligned with the risk or at least understand the risk, because there's a risk in literally every investment and you're seeing it like inflation is usually something that gets overlooked. Like you dump all your money into a bank savings account. Most people think that's the safest investment, but there's risks involved because your money's eroding over time due to inflation. The purchasing power erodes over time. So even a bank savings account is not a zero risk investment because of inflation. And again, now people are seeing that smack them in the face, like, holy crap, inflation's over 8% as I'm recording this. And my bank is paying me what? 50 basis points, maybe like it's... It's a loss, but that's an acceptable risk based on what you're doing with the money. That's what you need to be aware of. So, and again, I'll, I'll say from my client's perspective, when we're going through this process of allocating the money, 
I do actually have the part where we, I review their investments in the risk assessment part only because I don't, I want to make sure that as I am working with them, because you can see from these podcasts, there's a long process of, of asking all the questions and discovering everything about your finances that I want to make sure they're not sitting in a investment strategy that is totally out of alignment with everything I know so far about them, because I don't want them while we're sitting there waiting to start allocating it, quote unquote, the right way for them, them to be sitting in something completely disastrous that could get hurt while I'm technically in charge at that point. So I will say that if, if you ever decide to work with us, this is when it comes to investments, we actually look at that almost immediately in the process, because I want to make sure, again, you're not sitting with some incredibly risky strategy that you don't realize how risky it is and it's out of alignment with your goals. So, but that being said, so now we're allocating the money into these different areas. Again, now we know the investment risk tolerance for you, the person, and we've set the, the duration goals. So if there's a goal for 10, 20 years versus 30, 40 years versus two to three years, now we start allocating. So again, like if you're goal is two to three years. Again, this is not investment advice for anybody. This is just overall general rules of thumb for lack of a better term. You're not going to use the stock market for really anything less than like five years per se. So if you're looking to buy a house, down payment, invest in properties, you're going to want something significantly less volatile than the stock market. So you're going to be like looking at, you know, more, more bank related products. Again, I'm not endorsing any banks or any bank related products, but those are the types of things that you'd be looking for. College funding, same thing. That's like that weird intermediate process. Like how do you invest for college? Um, and there's 529 plans, things like that. And there's pros and cons to 529 plans. I like them in general, but just be aware that you have significantly less investment oversight or selection to say. But again, those are interesting because you have to pay attention because when your kid's really young, if you're if you're active on it and you start them as soon as the kids are born, you can crank that risk up all the way theoretically because they have a 17 or 18 year time horizon. As they get older, you you do want to reduce that risk because as they get closer and closer to actually needing the money, you in theory take the volatility off the table. Again, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just using volatility as a general term. And then here's another one like brokerage accounts. Brokerage accounts and retirement accounts, they're going to play hand in hand because most likely you're not going to, you're going to want to put more into your investments than just what's allowed in your 401ks and uh, those types, of, especially as you're running a more successful business. The brokerage account is just like an investment account. So it's going to be the way it's taxed is. Uh, it's just tax, just like a bank account. Every time you sell things or make a dividend or an interest payment, there's taxation that year. And again, that's one of the things that you want your investment person to have a tax hat on because there's things you can do throughout the year. Like you can take a look at what the fitness business is doing. So you know what your general picture of income is. Are there losses you need to take in the stock market? Are there gains? Like there's tax strategy inside of your investments that should play a factor. Same thing with retirement planning, you know, what is your income now? What, what, where do you live? Like if you're in California and you tell me I'm going to move to Texas or Nevada, you know, our strategy is going to be different for the, the years you live in California versus the years you live in Texas because of, of that hefty state tax that you, you can pay or avoid depending on the retirement account that you fund. A one that's least 
uh, talked about. And again, like I'm not I'm not diving into the math of what how to allocate these because it's going to be different for everybody, and I would inadvertently give people bad advice. But I'll mention the time value of money is basically you're looking at the, the variables that you're looking at. And this is, again, why you need to optimize everything. We're guessing. Well, I shouldn't say guessing because sometimes we know exactly. We know the time horizon. Again, that could be for college. We'll say 17 years. And then we for retirement, that's obviously a little bit of a guess. We want to say 30 years, 40 years. You know, Maybe you do it sooner or later. Most people should probably consider the fact that they'll be bored if they retire too soon or, or should say, if they don't retire to something and the uh, so we know the time and we have to estimate what the rate of return is. So again, use whatever rate of return you're comfortable with. I don't like sometimes when people give you the really high percentages because I don't know, I'd rather uh, that's that I shouldn't even phrase it that way, but I like to be conservative, you know, like I'll use, like on all my hypotheticals you'll see on my social media, I use the long-term effects of the stock market at like 6%. And realistically, it, it probably does better than that. But I try to be, I try to be conservative because if we, if we can hit the mark at 6%, then if it does better than that, then we kill it. We co- totally pass the mark. So that's the two variables. Again, we know that we're estimating the rate of return we're going to get. We have a pretty good idea on what the time horizon that we need. And we obviously know what, what we're the starting amount, which we refer to as the present value. That's what we start with. And so the goal is that future value. So again, for some people might like, okay, I'll use college. That's a little easier because you know exactly the year. And as I'm recording this, this is, I think college is what, like 60 grand a year, 70 grand a year, whatever it is. So you know that number too. So that all you're backing up into is what do I need to make as a monthly payment? And like, if you're using like a calculator, it's the PMT. And that's like the calculation that you're really hiring financial people for. And again, that's, that's one of the things that is like the, the table stakes. Cause you go to all the big firms, this is what they do. They'll call it financial planning, but they're basically just running that calculation for you. It's like, okay, you want to retire with 5 million bucks. You've got, you know, 250 K now the time horizon is 40 years. So this is how much you need to put away. And we're estimating you're going to make 6% on per year, plug it into a calculator. This is what you need to like contribute each month to hit your mark. And again, that's super valuable, but that's, and then quite frankly, the contribution level is what I try to get my clients to look at because we can't control what's going on in the market right now. We can control, we contribute to it. And over time we're confident we're going to win because statistically the, the math is on our side, the longer of the time horizons we go out versus on any given moment, like the short term could change the, the volatility significantly. And so, and the one area that, that I want to talk about that we allocate money towards that I think it's over overlooked and underappreciated, which is the medical side. And again, I can't emphasize enough, like the medical side when you plug in, so like I obviously all day long stare at financial software. You you go on to like financial software that doesn't incorporate health issues versus ones that do, you're gonna get a completely different success likelihood. Because on all the plans that I have for my clients, we have a long-term care event cropping up in the last three years. And again, that's I'm using that because that statistic I believe 
people live on long-term care an average of 30 months before they pass away. So it's typically the last, if you need long-term care, it's typically the last three years of your life. So I will model out what happens if you have a long-term care event and that is the last three years of your life. Typically, if you go by the, the national averages of how much that costs, that could be, I think as a, as I'm recording this, it's, I probably should look it up, but I mean, it could be for someone who's in their twenties, it's going to be millions of dollars because health, long-term care costs inflate, I believe at like 5% a year on average, not related to this, this Biden inflation that we're dealing with, but like normal inflation for long-term care inflates similar to like education. So it's high. I believe it's it's something like that. I, I could be I could be mistaken on how much, but it, it inflates higher than normal inflation of like two to three percent. So when you model it out for for your risks, you you're probably going to see two two million dollars or so be exiting financial plan in those last few years. So I can't emphasize enough how important it is to try to specifically plan for health events because. Of, of just the, the sheer impact. And there's ways to plan around it with like lawyers and stuff like that as you get older. But in the beginning, when you, if you want to avoid the expensive long-term care policies, you have to self-fund it. And the same thing with like health savings accounts. Like people overlook these all the time, but you can use a health savings account just like a retirement account. In fact, they're cooler than retirement accounts because they're triple tax-free. Nothing's triple tax-free. Meaning in a traditional retirement account, like if you, let's look at a Roth IRA and a traditional IRA, you pay taxes eventually. In a Roth IRA, you pay tax immediately, then it grows tax-free and you pull it out tax-free. So of the three, you paid up front. So pay taxes. A traditional IRA, you're paying taxes eventually. You get no taxes to put it in, no taxes while it grows, and then you pull it out. You hit get hit with taxes. HSAs never pay taxes if you use it for qualified medical expenses, meaning you put the money in, no taxes, you get a tax deduction and put it in. It grows, no taxes while it grows. You pull it out to pay for a doctor's appointment, no taxes. But what's cool about it is the amount, it's not use it or lose it. Like you have with like FSA, you might be used to from like, if you have a nine to five, the HSAs, it's your money forever. And if you die, it, has a beneficiary designation on it and they, your, your beneficiary would pull it out just like they would if you gave them your IRA to inherit. But you can grow it and grow it and grow it and grow it. And then as you get older, you can use it to pay some of your Medicare premiums or be part of the long-term care. So these are things that you can do as a young person. And again, these are tax strategies that are super impactful I just start thinking about where do I allocate the money to? So you're just using this time value of money and allocating based on what your specific goals are. And again, so I probably just said this in the beginning, but all of these allocations are based on the budgets that we've set in the beginning part of the, the process. Well, I've like seeing what your current situation is. When you're looking at all your expenses, we're finding out what is what is left over in our cash flow. So if you're pulling out of the business, let's just say in this hypothetical, you're pulling $10,000 out of the business, but your expenses are only six. Every month you have $4,000 that you have to work with. And so in that scenario, you're allocating that $4,000 
based on your goals. And as a rule of thumb, I would say this to any, any parent listening. That's Sorry, that's nothing we should talk about. If you're a parent listening, part of this allocation process should be for your kids as well. And that's a tax strategy that gets into the business itself. But you want to get your kids involved too through the business. That's a tax deduction. But when it comes to the allocating this money, you want to make base it also on the time of those goals. So one thing I would just caution you as when you're, depending on how you look at this, and this might be really helpful for people that are trying to DIY this because you don't have a professional that might emphasize this to you. As a rule of thumb, you don't want to raid your retirement for shorter term goals. And specifically, that comes up a lot with college because people are tempted to raid their retirement accounts for their kids' college. And it's a whole separate topic talking about student loans and things like that. But there's student loans and federal aid for college. There's no retirement loan because you're 70 years old and you don't want to work anymore. So just always bear that in mind that when you're trying to prioritize retirement investing, we're allocating in this scenario versus something else. Just re- always bear in mind that there's no retirement loan that you can get. Again, people might talk about like reverse mortgage, things like that, but that's that's different. I'm just referring to like if you're if you're neglecting your retirement account and now you're ready to retire, there's no bank that's going to float you alone because you're like, oh, I I raided my retirement account 15 years ago to send my kids to college, and now I'm screwed. So that's one thing you should really consider when you start prioritizing these things. And again, it all, and the reason I'm not being as specific as I feel like I wanted to be on this episode is because everyone's goals are going to be so different. Like your goal could be just build an empire of real estate. You know, we would have totally different things that we'd be working on together versus the person who's like, I'm going to put all of my money into retirement accounts. Versus the person who says, I don't want to fund any of my personal finances or personal investments. I want to sell my business for nine figures. And so that's where all of my profit's going to go. So that's one of the main things why, again, like when allocating the money loops all the way back to the original goal, which is why I can't emphasize enough when you meet an investment person and they start telling you the answer to your problem before you they even know anything other than the dollar value that you're trying to deploy because it's insincere advice the same way you wouldn't be able to start dispensing health advice to someone without knowing everything about them. So hopefully that's helpful. And again, same thing, like as we talk about like the original cash flow. when it comes, this is probably part of what we talked about last week and I wish I didn't lay, save this for the end, but I did. So here we are. One of the things to consider when, it, when you're dealing with your cash flow and allocating it it's part of what we talked about last week with risk planning. Because again, it might be very unsexy to be like, all right, let's start putting all my money to work. And the first thing that the financial professional tells you is you are not prepared for like the roof to blow off your house in a, in a like a tornado or a hurricane or something like that. You have no emergency fund. So the first couple of months of working as financial professional, all you feel like you're doing is putting money in a bank savings account for an emergency fund. Like, let's get that out of the way. That That's a very likely scenario if you have nothing. Like, I've, I've seen this multiple times. People ask me, like, oh, like, I saved up 10 grand. What should I do with it? And it's like, well, what do you have other than that 10 grand? 
And if the answer is nothing, it's like, well, and based on what's your rent, what are your expenses? It's like, okay, you, you have right now like a three month emergency fund. So the next step is saving, like start putting the next few dollars into the investment strategy. That 10 grand, you probably just want to leave it there. And again, that's not sexy advice. It's how people like ask you or DM you in hopes of hearing. But that's the reality for people because you don't want to be in a situation where you take that 10 grand, you put it in the stock market. Or you put it in a retirement account where it really could hurt you to try to pull it back out now. And then all of a sudden the market crashes, you're down, your car has an issue and you need like two grand. Now you just put yourself in a bind where most people would turn around and start swiping a credit card. So that's what you're trying to avoid. So that's where also this, the allocating and the risk really do marry each other. But the next phase, and we'll get into it next week, it'll probably be a shorter episode. The next week is really just optimizing everything. Because again, everything we've done up to this point is a series of assumptions. So again, like I've said in my social media, every financial plan I've ever made is wrong. Every financial plan anyone's ever made is wrong because they're estimating when you're going to die, what health events have, are going to cost in your life, like when you're going to, how many kids you're going to have, the health events of those kids. Like the, the variables are dozens and dozens that we're trying to predict. So as soon as we get off the gate, something is is already wrong. Again, like every single plan this year went out the door with inflation probably around 2 or 3%, 4%. I don't know any financial planner was like, oh yeah, I was estimating like, and again, I'm not talking about in, now, I'm talking about like years ago where they're like, oh, in 2022, we're going to have, we'll be coming off a pandemic and we'll have almost 9% inflation rates. Like, so that's why all plans need to be optimized along the way. And we'll dive into that next week. And if the just to give a little shout out to the way my company works, this would be the the part now because again, like we don't necessarily start optimizing as soon as we just finished. If if you work with us and we're dealing with your business and your personal, this is where because again, we've just put built the ship for your personal finances. Now we move into all the business planning for the fitness business because now we have a strong foundation on what you need in your personal life so that you can show up as strong as possible for your baby, the business. So hope this has been a, a valuable episode. I went longer than I expected. So for those still listening, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And if we can be of any value to you or your friends, let me know. Email me, DM me. My Instagram is at the Pat Darby. I recently changed it from Pat Darby Biz. Um, hopefully it's easy to remember, the Pat Darby. And if this has been valuable, please share it with a friend. Really would uh, love to help them as well. So everyone, have a great day. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us this week on Building Your Wealth Muscle. Make sure you visit our website, darbyba.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're at it, if you found value, we'd appreciate the ratings on iTunes, or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us as well. For more information on the topics covered, you can follow Pat on Instagram, at patdarbybiz. The download from this episode is available in the show notes, and if you want help building your wealth specifically, Pat Darby is currently taking private clients. The link to book a call is also in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.